Hi, welcome to the 1689 Evangelism Podcast. We have a couple of new episodes which are about to drop for you, but in the meantime, we want to share with you the third part of Dr. Johnston's first message at our recent 1689 Evangelism Conference. I hope you like it. Here you go. So, to make it practical, these last couple minutes, Philip the Evangelist, the great model for New Testament evangelism. And I know some of us have large families, are very family-oriented here, and that is a wonderful thing, praise God. Um, Amen. The beauty of the example of Philip in Acts 8. Let me move my slides. So Philip introduces the gift of the evangelist. This word group, and it kind of it got messed up on the slide there, it links the word evangelist, evangel, and evangelize, which, by the way, in Greek are the same word. Evangelist preaches the evangel, therefore he evangelizes the evangel. So we have this beautiful word group, which is portrayed in Acts 8. And what do we see in Acts 8? Well, we see a balance between personal evangelism and group evangelism. Group evangelism in Samaria, one-on-one evangelism with the Ethiopian eunuch. They're perfectly in balance. There's no fight between them, even though in church history there is fighting between them. There's no need for that. So um, counterfeit, we also have a counterfeit evangelist introduced called Simon the Sorcerer who's preaching himself. This man calls himself the great power of God. Talking about someone who who takes away the authority of the the Holy Spirit and talks of himself using biblical names for God from the Old Testament. It's super sad. And in baptism, we have one of the best examples of New Testament baptism in Acts chapter 8, where he speaks before he gets baptized, do you believe in Jesus as the Son of... Uh, do you believe in the Son of... Uh, let me see what it, exactly what those words are because this is so important. It's left out of some versions of the Bible. This is Acts 8.37, by the way, just so some of you who have your Bibles will be really interested in this. Um, Acts 8.37. And if you're, if you're listening to me, say amen. Amen. I haven't lost you. Okay, so here it is. of Acts 8... Um, 37, if you believe with all your heart, you may. What, what presents me from being baptized, the eunuch says. Philip says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Then here we have the only place in all of Scripture where the, baptiz- the baptismal candidate responds verbally, which means he can't be a baby, right? A baby before, his, before being able to speak. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen, let me baptize you. And they went down into the water, and they came out, and they were baptized and saved. And I, I know this is a Baptist church. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Praise God. So, consider the, the person of Philip the Evangelist. He was a man of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, known as a deacon, chosen as a deacon in the Jerusalem church. He had a home in Caesarea. He had four prophesying daughters. Therefore, we can rightly assume he was married. He hadn't followed the 
the Benedictine vows, so-called uh, poverty, chastity, and obedience, uh, which are totally come from men. Um, anyway, <clears throat> Acts 8 explains the two ministries of, of Philip, the evangelist preaching in Caesarea, Samaria, pardon me, about 50 kilometers from his home, and then evangelizing to the eunuch on his way up, uh, ending up in Ashdod, about 90 kilometers from his home. And then he had a home. He was headed back to Caesarea. He's heading home. And praise God for the good example. So he was literally a 1 Timothy 3 um, evangelist, a 1 Timothy 3 leader in the church. We know, more, we know more about Philip, the family life of Philip, than we do of any other, any other leader in the New Testament church. More than we know about Paul, other than Jesus and his family. We know more about Philip. Isn't that interesting, the traveling evangelists? Kind of amazing, actually. It's quite counterintuitive when you think about evangelists as a traveling leader, but it's true. Praise God. So consider the role now of Acts 8, 26 to 40. I'm going to go to the personal evangelism of Philip speaking to the Ethiopian eunuch. For me, this is, this is a standard of how we should evangelize. And, and it's, it's a guide to it. So if you turn to Acts chapter 8, I have God's role and man's role in the gospel. And in, in God's role, um, let me see, I should probably get this on my, I can see it a bit better on my own page here. God's, God's role, I'm just going to read off of here if you don't mind. God moved in the heart of the evangelist. Like he moved in some of your hearts. You say, I, I feel I need to do more in evangelism. That's God moving. Satan doesn't want you to evangelize. It's God moving in your heart saying, hey, tell others about me. Have Jesus on your mind. Have Jesus on your lips. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to be overflowing with Jesus. It's actually a very good thing. God simultaneously moved in the heart, moves in the heart of those he's preparing for the gospel message. So we, we read about the Ethiopian eunuch reading the Bible while he's in a chariot. Now, he wasn't reading, he wasn't reading and driving at the same time. Someone else is probably likely driving, right? <laughs> so don't text and, uh, and drive at the same time. That's not what that says. Um, God, the, God was, by the Holy Spirit, was speaking through his word. Of whom does this, is he saying these things? So the Holy Spirit is like pricking questions about the word into the mind of the eunuch as he's reading. And the word of God pointed to Jesus. Where he was reading, it pointed to Jesus. And usually it does. The one key thing, if, if, a, if an unsaved person or a neighbor or somebody brings up a biblical thought or a, tries to quote a biblical passage to you, you need to affirm that, Amen. Praise God. And then from that passage, I assure you, you can get to the gospel. If you can find the passage you're quoting from, and normally it's possible to do that because it might be a Ten Commandment or it might be something from the Golden, the golden Rule from, from Luke or something. Look it up. And then God moved on the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch to respond, giving him a hearing of faith. God did that. Philip never did that. God provided water for the baptism, for the outward commitment of baptism to take place. God gave joy to the eunuch as he went his way, and God kept moving in the life of the evangelists. So God was all over this event. 
but also Philip was involved in it too. So Philip obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart. This is where you and I can work together with the Holy Spirit. Philip promptly obeyed the voice of the Holy Spirit, telling him to engage this person in gospel conversation. Speak to them about me. Now, I have more examples of not speaking than I do of speaking, to be honest with you, because I feel, I feel the Holy Spirit's tugging on my heart, and, and I want to speak. So then when we, praise God, when we speak, and just get the name of Jesus out there. Have you heard about Jesus? What do you think of the gospel? Are you a praying person? Has the Lord given you a church you go to? Any, there's hundreds of questions that can be used to engage people in conversation. This, we just have to be on, 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 on point, as it were, with the Holy Spirit. Philip began a dialogue with an open-ended question. Do you understand what you're reading? Well, it could be a yes and no question, right? But there, do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Unless someone, <laughs> someone tells me. Let me see. Um, so there's question, 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 question. And then the place where he was reading. I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? And so here we have a stranger interpreting scripture to a stranger in evangelism. And, just, and it's amazing how God works. And God opens his heart. This is how he works. Amen? So, Philip answered the eunuch's spiritual question. He went right, he started where he was. He didn't go into some pre-planned and memorized gospel plan. I listen, I believe in memorizing gospel plans. Roman Road, all kinds of plans I've memorized. But the fact is you have to begin with where they are, especially if they share something. They might be going through a divorce and it might really hurt them badly. So start with marriage. Start with Ephesians 5. Start there. Why not? Start wherever they are, wherever their, their heart is grunting and groaning and itching. And show them the beauty of Jesus and God and how his word speaks to this, these things. And they can literally hear from the voice of God on whatever issues they're dealing with. Oh, it's super important. And then work from there to get to Jesus. So Philip used a scripture on the heart of the eunuch to evangelize him about Jesus, starting where he was spiritually. Philip confirmed the eunuch's faith by baptizing him. Hallelujah. So he believed. He actually gave a verbal commitment, which we spoke about, and he baptized him. Philip was then caught away by the Holy Spirit right after the baptism was complete. So the Holy Spirit was so much on this that he, Maybe the Holy Spirit knew, hey, you need to head back home pretty quickly. Literally, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you get home because you're needed there. And, and God did, did a miracle. I don't totally understand it, but that's okay. God did what he needs to do. The Holy Spirit was all over the evangelism encounter. You see how God and man work together? So neither of them is passive. Both are active. Always God priority as a priority because his ways are higher than our ways. It's his goal we want, but then we must obey, we must act, we must open our mouth, we must begin somewhere, and we must follow through as he leads. And guess what? He will be faithful. He will be faithful. He's faithful to accomplish his ends. So, for a long time, the second graphic up here, the second photo, I used to think that God and man, well, 
we're co-laboring. Sugu kononoi, it says, co-laborers with God. First Corinthians, Corinthians 3.10, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. I, I saw us, and I think it was a wrong understanding, like two, two oxen tied together, God and me on the other side, and we're both pulling a plow together. But I think a better, a better view of co-laboring is the first one here. Looks like maybe an Amish guy, right? <laughs> I can't see the beard. Yeah, he does have a beard. Praise God. Huh? Anyway, the, the guy, the, the, you have the massive horse, and you have God leading. And, we're bo- and they're both, uh, would you agree with me? They're both working together there. But they're not, they're not doing the same thing. One is literally guiding the plow and guiding the horse, and the other one's just working it out. That's how God co-labors with us. I, I, I'm convinced of it now. It's not two equal side-by-side oxen pulling, you know, pulling, uh, uh, pulling uh, the, the plow from behind, but rather this other one. So it's amazing that God works together with us. Are you amazed by that? I sure am. So therefore, look at this verse here. This is an example of God and man co-laboring and sharing the gospel. Probably one of the best ones in all of Scripture. I told you Acts Acts 8 is amazing, and it's amazing in a different way. This is amazing of how God opens a heart. And I believe it always works this way. This is how God works. So looking at Acts chapter 16, we have the... the, um, uh, the woman, uh, Lydia from Thyatira, and listen to what it says. It's very fascinating. Verse of uh, Acts 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went out to the city. We, that is Paul, and those that were with him, went out to the city, to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women, plural, women that were there. So we have a plurality of women. We never hear any of the other names. We don't know who they are. We just hear about one. The one on whom the Holy Spirit touches the heart to open. We don't know ever what happens to the others. We have no idea, but it doesn't matter. Because the focus, the Holy Spirit focuses on the laser focus on the one. So verse 14. um, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. So she had this God interest already there, but she was not saved. She just kind of had an interest in spiritual things. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul or to take heed to the things spoken by Paul. That's exactly how it works. The words are coming out of your mouth, and the Holy Spirit is taking those words and giving his, his supernatural divine power to them, and the heart is being opened. That's always how it works. True salvation, that's always how it works. Amen? God working in, with, and by his word. Almost done, guys. Almost done. God is good. Working together with God. Here's an example we then, Paul, Paul says in his 2 Corinthians, if Romans is on the gospel, 1 Corinthians is on follow-up in the local church, 
Second Corinthians is on ministry, preparing for ministry, by the way. It's amazing. It's amazing. So Second Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse 1 says this, um, after a phenomenal uh, chapter 5, we then working together, workers with him, same, same idea, sug kononeo, sug kononoi, this of the verb and the, the noun, sug, uh, working together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. When we get to pleading, not, uh, not, being, not mean, but when we plead, maybe that's when the Holy Spirit's really speaking to us. When we care enough to plead for people's souls. That's what he's doing here. We urge you, we plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Is it possible to receive it in vain? I guess it must be. Paul says it here. I don't understand, but may God give us wisdom, amen? And then he quotes scripture. In the acceptable time I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. Then he applies what he just quoted. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Amen? So, we have this amazing thing going back then to this, uh, this book, uh, wherever I put it, here it is. The Second London Confession says a very interesting thing about the preaching of the gospel as a gift. We have that gift in the United States, the gift of freedom of speech. They may not have that gift in Russia. They may not have that gift in Afghanistan in the same way or in, or in Somalia. But we have that gift here, don't we? And so it says in, in uh, chap chapter 20, verse uh, part 3, and I'm going to read it right out of here because this is so good. The re revelation of the gospel unto sinners made in diverse times and by various parts with the addition of promises and precepts for the obedience required therein as to the nations and persons to whom it is granted. That's where the gift is. Is merely of the sovereign will and good pleasure of God. Not being annexed by virtue of any promise uh, to the due improvement of men's natural abilities by virtue of common light received without it which none ever did make, and nor can do so. And therefore, in all ages, the preaching of the gospel hath been granted unto persons and nations as to the extent or straightening of it in great variety according to the counsel and will of God. God has granted the preaching of the gospel to certain nations in certain and diverse times and ways. Do we understand why? No, we don't. But we know we have the gospel here, amen? And God's given us that gift. And we're so grateful for what he's done. So I'd like to close with 2 Corinthians 2, 14 through 17 and pray in closing. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we, Paul's including all his audience, you and me, we are 
the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, the two, the elect and non-elect. To the one, an aroma of death to death, aroma of death leading to death, to the other, an aroma of life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more information about 1689 Evangelism, you can go to 1689evangelism.com. If you'd like to find out more about the Resurgence Collective, you can go to theresurgence.site. It was a pleasure being here with you today. We'll see you again very soon.